0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series, Integrity Matters, a K2 Integrity podcast. This podcast series is Business and Financial Fraud, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. For this series, I'm joined by Joanne Taylor, a Managing Director at K2 Integrity. Joanne has 20 years of legal investigations and financial crime compliance experience, which includes fraud risk management, anti-bribery and corruption, regulatory enforcement, and fraud investigations experience working within the financial and legal services industries. I'm also joined by Ray Dukey. Ray is a managing director of K2 Integrity's investigation and risk advisory practice. He has more than 25 years experience in compliance, integrity risk monitoring and management, and investigations. His experience spans across industries with specific focus on financial services, life sciences, as well as real estate and construction. Over the next five episodes, we will take a look at the top fraud trends to expect in 2021, the regulatory landscape in 2021 and misconduct, best practices in fraud prevention, how to detect fraud, and responding to fraud once uncovered. In this episode, I am joined by Joanne Taylor, where we take up best practices to detect fraud. This five-part K2 Integrity podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our continuing series uh, sponsored by K2 Integrity on business and financial fraud yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Today, I have back Joanne Taylor. Joe, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me again.
1: Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here today.
0: Jo, in a couple of previous uh, episodes, we identified <clears throat> the issues around fraud uh, in this era of coronavirus and, and moving forward. And In our last episode, I visited with your colleague, Ray Dookie, around how to prevent fraud. But I want to maybe visit with you today about how to detect fraud, uh, because every compliance program, whether it's fraud prevention, whether it's AML, whether it's export control, whether it's anti-bribery, anti-corruption has three prongs, prevent, detect, and then remediate. And the detect prong can be as strong a part as the other two. So I thought, or or at least wanted to see if maybe you and I could uh, visit a little bit about your thoughts around that detect prong and maybe start out with uh, what are some controls you might suggest?
1: Well, it's a, it's a great um, discussion topic. I think that what I'd say here headline wise is I think there are some really good tried and tested methods for detecting fraud. And the number one contender is whistleblowing. Um, because we know from uh, research done and surveys done by the ACFE that whistleblowing tips are the most common way to discover a fraud. And in a survey um, they did uh, recently, more than 40% of um, survey participants' cases came from a whistleblowing tip. And that's nearly three times um, as many cases as the next most common detection method. So I think it's really important for firms to look at their whistleblowing program, try to make sure it's as robust as possible. And a crucial aspect I'd highlight there is actually having a whistleblower hotline in place because we know that that helps firms detect fraud more quickly and minimize losses more effectively than those who don't have a whistleblowing hotline.
0: Joe, you referenced the ACFE report, and uh, they, of course, put out the report to the nations. They also had a December supplement this year, or at least another report. And they've consistently talked about whistleblowers as a key um, detect control. Has that really been your experience as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess from a whistleblowing program perspective, you obviously look at, across a range of topics, um, but fraud, bribery and corruption definitely come up as key themes that we see repeated when, when whistleblowers do put their hand up.
0: Joe, let, uh, let me visit with you a, l- a little bit about having a phone line. And if I could expand that maybe to having a working phone line. Because there's an apocryphal story in the FCPA world, which, whether it's true or not, it's the great story, which is along the lines of the following. A company is in their final meeting with the Department of Justice to settle their FCPA enforcement action. The uh, DOJ prosecutor who in the story is always a woman. So the woman excuses herself, goes to her office and calls the company hotline uh, to reach a non-working phone number. Uh, the point of the story in the FCPA world is make sure your hotline works. So make sure your whistleblowing line re- works. Um, ha- have you had the occasion to help companies test that, whether it be as simple as calling in or actually, you know, running a a, a test through uh, to see if the process works throughout the company?
1: Absolutely, and I think you're absolutely right there, Tom. Um, for any firm facing any form of regulatory scrutiny, um, I think it's a real no brainer for, for someone in the regulator's shoes to think to test the line. Um, and um, indeed, you know, some, there's different um, channels that, that firms have. Right. So pe- some firms have a hotline with a phone number. Some firms have an electronic platform. Some firms have an email address. And it's important to test all those channels because you could have a situation where an email address is managed by one person and that person leaves the bank or or the institution, for example, and therefore the kind of any notifications go into a a void, um, essentially. And we've had um, in the UK a recent case in the last year or so where a major insurance company um, forgot to test its line. And for a period of several months, nobody at that insurance company could make an anonymous report. Um, And that um, ability to make an anonymous report is a requirement under uh, the Financial Conduct Authority regulation. And so that firm really landed itself in hot water when a simple kind of built in uh, periodic test um, could have identified that issue very quickly. Jill, let me
0: turn the focus just a little bit, and if and if I could, I've now had the opportunity to visit with you over a couple of different podcast series, and one of the key themes that I think I've heard from you is that um, detection of fraud is not a one-time event. It's not a snapshot. It's an ongoing process, and uh, so I really wanted to, to see, one, is that a fair assessment of some of the things you've told me over our podcast series, but how does a company implement that in, in terms of a fraud health check, and and how do you really have that? ongoing or much more macro view?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really important um, aspect to consider when you're looking holistically at your fraud program. And I think it would be um, a mistake and and a bit kind of naive, really, for firms to rely on, um, for example, an internal or external audit in order to detect fraud. Obviously, we know that can happen through an audit but audits are focused on particular methodologies and ways of, of looking at the control environment. Um, and they're not necessarily geared as such to detect, for example, an ongoing um, fraud that's happening right now. Um, and that's where the health check comes in. And really, in a nutshell, it's the combination of um, data analytics um, to the organization's data sets and um, an investigative mindset and approach to run the data against um, fraud scenarios that apply to that organisation and the applicability is very important as a a methodology. And then when you get those red flags to do some digging to work out, is this a false alert or actually is there something here? Is there a kickback scenario going on with this vendor, for example? And what can we do to really drill down into that to see if that's something the organisation needs to really get a handle on and really have a proper look into?
0: One of the uh, one of the things I think compliance officers uh, either don't understand about fraud or at least have trouble getting their arms around is fraud is not simply stealing money. Fraud can be a wide variety of actions. It can be lying to government regulators. It can be certainly taking money. It can be taking money from vendors. It can be taking kickbacks. It can be um, stealing equipment. And how how does a company think through really – all the variations of fraud—is—is is it just too large, uh, or how does a compliance professional who really is focused on controls begin to think through a problem uh, like fraud?
1: That's such a great question, um, and I think for companies that have kind of diverse business activities, it does become—it can become very tricky, and it—it—it it, it, it can get a bit out of control, like you say, if. You, you spend um, a, a lot of time thinking about every single potential nuance. But I would say that there's, there's a way that you can take a pragmatic approach that involves really looking at the key types of fraud that could happen at any organisation. Um, you know, for example, you could have payroll fraud with ghost employees, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then um, sort of combining that um, basic starting point with frauds that are known to have happened in your industry in the last two, three, four, five years so that you, you're you making sure that you take on board what's happening in real life as well as kind of the theoretical schemes um, and also making sure you know what's happening in your own organisation, which for a big organisation can actually be a challenge due to, you know, where does the kind of corporate history, corporate memory lie? Um, but I think if you can sort of combine those Essentially, sort of three elements. You've got a really good starting point for a, a series of kind of what I would call fraud scenarios that can really help inform your risk assessment and and the way you look at your control environment.
0: Joe, I've attended a couple of ACFE national conferences back when we used to have such things, and one of the things that struck me about, if I can use the phrase, ACFE old timer, um, perhaps someone closer to our age. Um, is that they tended to be ex-law enforcement types. You saw some CPA types, which really had sort of blue-collar, in-the-trenches investigators of, or rather, determining fraud. And uh, in 2020 or or 2021, uh, fraud investigative techniques have really changed and moved into a modern era. You mentioned data analytics do both of those styles and strategies of fraud detection, uh, are they still valid uh, in 2021 or, or is it something else?
1: Oh, it's, it's another really interesting question. Um, I, I guess I, I, I'm, I've not really thought about it, but what string, springs to mind immediately is that we've got to make sure that there's some um, alignment and cooperation between a fraud team and um, a CISO team, a cyber security incident management team to counter exactly what you've just flagged um, around the, you know, the sort of crossover between the classic and continuing fraud scenarios that we've just covered um, that do stick around and just basically are tweaked according to what's in fashion, <laughs> COVID-19 right now, but there'll be something else in the future But what we do certainly see is obviously the vector, the way that these frauds are perpetrated are through cyber and technology. And so it's really important that there aren't any silos between that kind of fraud team and um, a CISO team. And I mean that both um, in regard to dealing with a fraud incident and like fraud response where there might need to be actions taken by both teams And also when you're looking through perhaps a risk assessment or a more general review when you're looking at your fraud control environment.
0: Joe, if uh, recognizing the myriad types of fraud we've touched on is just a a, a drop in a pond or drop in a lake of potential frauds, are there two or three uh, red flags that you you are are talking to your clients right now about, whether it be uh, COVID-related, payroll-related, or... um, cybersecurity-related that you could tell us about?
1: I think the one that kind of I'm talking with a client right now um, about doing a kind of training to their their own client base. And I suppose the one that comes up repeatedly, and maybe it's not so fashionable or trendy, um, but we see it repeatedly is business email compromise fraud. Um, and that's where um, obviously you have a situation where somebody, uh, the fraudster, is posing as either a vendor to the organization, to the to the organization, or perhaps the CFO um, or CEO. Um, and we see uh, companies repeatedly having problems um, falling for that. And that's why training of the treasury team. Um, and making sure that um, staff are trained on malware and, and phishing attempts um, is so kind of crucial as a as a continuing part of your fraud program.
0: Well, Joe, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us in our next episode, which will be our final episode where we look up at, or, or rather I have Ray Duicky back with me on responding to fraud once uncovered, Joe. I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation with you, and thank you so much for um, visiting with me on this podcast series.
1: Thanks, Tom. Great, thank you.
0: This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of a K two Integrity Podcast: Business and Financial Fraud Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Check out the resources available on the K two Integrity website which is listed in today's show notes. This special five-part podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for joining us.